Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the Tyree Film Movie Debate Podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm the K- Kissax Satirac or whatever That's the, the fuck one. it's called. Yeah, yeah. Quiz- yeah, sure. Quiz- 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 it's Hatterack. Uh, yeah. Qu- yeah, I- I'm that guy, uh, William Johnson. Oh, not bad. Kiss your mother with that mouth. Uh, we're damn glad to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we're talking about Denis Villeneuve's Dune, recommended likely by me because it's the biggest movie on the block at the moment here. Our format is this. The recommending lover goes first. They get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for 15 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. This sand is coarse and it gets everywhere. And Hayden Christensen was a more emotive person than Timothy Chalamet. So, folks, let's go. Oh, you know, I just. <laughs> this is going to be a good show. The this Timothy be a good show. Chalamet thing is I heard an interesting argument the other day from a mutual friend of ours on Facebook who was talking about how. Which mutual friend? Got a shout out here. Michelle. Oh, yes. Yes, um, yes, yes. Hey, Michelle. Saying, where she was saying, like, people don't like Timothy Chalamet because he's not the prototypical male. Like, I can I, give I, a shit I, about I, that. I, yeah. I understand her argument, but at the same time, yeah. I don't give a fuck. He sucks. No, he <laughs> I'm just, sorry. Yeah. Like, I yeah. just don't like him as an actor. Like, I, I don't need, to do with, yeah, I, yeah I, I don't need him to have rippling muscles in this movie. I just need him to, I don't know, emote and act a little better than he does. No, yeah. I, I never, I've never been a fan. I, I've always, I was telling, um, I, I'm a fan of his for the right project. Like, Call Me yeah. By Your Name is the right project for a confused little actor who can play <laughs> torment and consternation. Like, that's the place for him. He feels out of place in Little Women. He feels out of place in lots of things. But, and he yeah, feels out he, of place in this. He, I was telling my ex the other day that I was like, he just seems like a guy that would sit down with me to have coffee and talk about Dave Matthews band CDs. Like he just seems <laughs> really yeah. fucking annoying to me. And to, to base an entire Epic franchise on him Oof. is, is a yeah. bad move yeah. uh, in my opinion. But that's, that's, that's one of my many arguments that I'll be oh, making after yeah, five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So folks, I have to kind of play lover on this one and I'll do my best. Let's see what I can do. Cause I have my problems with this too. So, all right, five minutes. Come here, timer. There it is. So for Dune, I'll tip my hat. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is what other people have called. I think a BBC article came out about this where somebody put the clickbait title of the best science fiction director of the 21st century. And I look at that resume between Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival and the other things he's done, including this, and go not just for volume but for quality – if you are taking a leader in the clubhouse at 21 years into a century, yes, for a century's worth of 21 years, he's probably the best guy in the block. He's, he's better than an old Ridley Scott. He's better than J.J. Abrams. He's better than Alex Garland, who's still kind of up and coming. Uh, yeah, Denis Villeneuve is, is good. He's good at what he does. And he brings fantastic, talented artists and, and a vision into that sort of thing. Like production value was never going to be his problem. You know, costumes are good. He has a mindful effects. He's great with scale. Uh, Hans Zimmer shows up and, and, you know, powers in a Hans Zimmer level score. 
whether or not that all can work for what this property is, that's the thing. Because this is doom. This is a literary holy grail that's been chased for a long time. It's killed a few careers along the way. And and even a blockbuster auteur like Villeneuve has challenges. So, yeah, it's I, I see the clickbait that people are trying to put with the pull quotes for this movie of, oh, it's Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones all into one. I said, that's not exactly a fucking dish I want to take a bite out of. <laughs> no, thank you. Like, Thanks. I'll just have Star Wars, please. No, thanks. I'll just have Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, stay on the shelf. So this, this is a complicated project because it is Dune. You are talking about Quizzes, Hatteracks and playing Balisets and Melange, Spites and Benny Jessert, Witches. And this movie takes a patience and a headspace that for silly jargon and pensive politics that are a whole lot thicker than lightsabers and the force from a galaxy far, far away. It was never going to be that light and that simple. And Denis Villeneuve can lift heavy things. But at some point, I I watch, I admit, I watched the David Lynch one for the first time before this one because I just had to know. And a summer ago, when I thought this movie was coming out, I did the whole 27-hour audiobook and was bored of fucking tears. You know, three-quarters of the book is just just showboating and, and building for a cool thing. Last fifth of the book maybe is fun because shit finally starts getting going. And, you know, the the, the messianic figure has risen and, and takes over the mantle he deserves for his double birthrights and all that. And that's – I was finally inspired by then. And – when I watched David Lynch do his thing in all of the eighties, gaudy melodramatic fashion, I looked at this new one and I go, you know what? Maybe a little melodrama and gaudiness wouldn't have been such a bad thing. Maybe, you know, I don't want to say you got to get a Toto score versus Hans Zimmer, but maybe even a little Basil Polidorus Conan, the barbarian, like put a little, put a little theme into it, put a little motif, you know, have a signature piece, not just a dirge. So this is this is a big, gorgeous mess. Gorgeous movie. Loud movie. It, I saw it on Dolby Atmos where it blew me to pieces. And the movie moves a whole lot of things. It moves sands. It moves swords. It moves people. It moves necks. It moves eardrums. It does all kinds of things. But the one thing it doesn't move me is that heart and spirit. Because, man, I can't get behind the hero of this movie. And I know we just had our little Timothy Chalamet rant session and I'll pile right on. He is just an unconvincing hero and you need that. I'm not saying Kyle McLaughlin is God's gift acting. He wasn't all that good in the Lynch one, but at least he's got a little sparkle and is given a little something to do to have a hero's rise. And, and if all that stuff is waiting for us in the second part, which is where the exciting part of the book was for me, sweet. I can have some patience and be ready for that. But as a part one that only gets about where it gets to, and I need to kind of be invested in in where the the heat of this movie can be from a passion and fury standpoint, I watch all the passion and fury in this movie, unfortunately, die or just be stuck in a woman's place because Rebecca Ferguson, Jason Momoa, and Oscar Isaac have six times the amount of pulse than Timothy Chalamet. And that's that's a difficult thing. Holy and it's shit, Jason Momoa. J- I thought Jason best character in the movie for me. Ah. I but it at least he's got at least he's got some personality. Mm. And that's kind of where I'm going. So I, if this is you know patient potential for things that can that can escalate more, 
okay, fine. Get, it deserves a part two. I will watch a part two. But man, this, I, I've watched it twice. I don't care if I watch it again. It, it, it's nothing I'm going to come back to. Yeah, and before I start my timer, that's something that, you know, what those those other things you mentioned, Star Wars, yeah. Lord of the Rings, all those things. That stuff, has, that stuff those. has spirit and passion. Like, I when we pick when any, when Lord of the Rings is on, I'm I I can't be pulled away. Like it right. just there's some sweep there. There's some even if it's spectacle, it, there's just a draw of heart. And right. Star Wars, of course, back in OG trilogy, has that like the characters you get swept up in and you care about, even if it's silly space adventure stuff like silliness can sell because it's it's every man level you get to this game of thrones stuff in space and i just don't give a shit which per which warring party has this planet and mines a bunch of spices on top of the natives that don't get to have it like i'm not trying to play the brown people and black people versus white people thing but that's kind of a thing in this movie and book too so mm -hmm. there's a lot of it's yeah i don't know Maybe this is might be one of those things where it's just better as a book than ever becoming a movie. Yeah. All, All right. right. Let, me, uh, let me start my uh, timer here. So, okay. So everyone knows I'm kind of a sports guy. There are teams that you hate because they're in your division or, you know, they, you know, whatever. They, they, they've beaten you a lot of times and you're tired of it or whatever. You're a Chicago person. I'm sure you The New York when, Knicks. Well, I, I love when you, you must have loved when Aaron Rodgers said to all the fans in Chicago, <laughs> I own you. You know, so you hate a team for that. They're in your yeah. division. They, they, they beat you all the time, whatever. There are some teams you hate because of their fans, okay? Mm. And this is kind of related, but Dune was pissing me off from the beginning. Because as, as listeners know, Denny Villeneuve made my all-time favorite movie, and it still is my all-time favorite movie, Blade Runner 2049. So I obviously like the director. I like his style. I've liked his films. I love Arrival. I love Sicario. I love Prisoners. I love Enemy. I love all this stuff. You know, he's a great director. But there's some things I just can't handle when it comes to film fans, okay? And they ruined Dune for me in a way. Because first you had the HBO Max thing. And you got all these people going like, the pure cinema experience must be experienced on the screen. You know, and it's like, okay, fine. I, I get that. But, you know, 99, probably 99% of the movies we all watched as kids, we never saw on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And if a movie is good, it will carry onto multiple devices. Yes, I understand it was shot in IMAX and, you know, it, it does benefit from a big screen. But if it's a good movie, it'll play on your phone. It'll play anywhere. You know what I mean? So I get that. But there's the purists out there who are like, well, true cinema would not be on HBO Max. So I got that. Then you got these people that are just like, you know, they, they, they latch on to the Delhi Villeneuve comments and talk about how, like, you know, he talks about how, you know, I'm making, by the way, a <laughs> sequel, reboot, uh, whatever, to a book, IP, but Marvel movies are cut and paste. And then you get mm -hmm. the people that dig their feet into that and go like, well, see, he's making true cinema, real sci-fi, real stories, real characters. So you've got these fans of quote-unquote cinema that have put this film on the pedestal. That, that makes you go like, well, it makes a couple of things happen. One, if you don't like it, then you're a horrible person. And, you know, because you don't understand cinema. You know, if you want to watch it on HBO because you're scared of your health 
or because it's expensive to go to the movies. You know, you've got, you know, people being like, well, how dare you not experience film as it should be experienced. So you got months and months and months of this rhetoric amongst other things going on, you know, anti-current standards, you know, originality, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the importance of film, how great this film is in terms of stature and, and beauty and how film should be watched and everything. So when I went to the goddamn fucking theater to watch it, mm-hmm. I was expecting this better be the greatest fucking thing that has ever happened because all of you people out there are making me hate this movie without even seeing it because you're all a bunch of psychopath fans who have all these opinions on how art should be interpreted and how art should be viewed and how art should be appreciated and blah, 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 blah. And then you got the director himself talking crap about other things and talking about how HBO Max sucks and all this stuff. And I'm just like, just get over yourselves. Like, unfortunately, that arrogance that comes out is evident in this movie because it feels so self-important. That's the thing is Lord of the Rings. You had Peter Jackson, who was a genre filmmaker, stepping up his game to make prestige level filmmaking with none of the prestige, you know, like he, he's making something that is generally considered, uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings and Dune are considered classic books of literature, but I guarantee you contemporaries of the time would not consider it literature. They consider it trash literature. It's good for sci-fi. It's good for horror. It's good for fantasy, but it's not real literature, you know? So, but like I said, you can't take your eyes off of Lord of the Rings but there's something so smug about this dune that like when you watch it, it feels so self-important. Like, look at me, look how seriously I'm making this kid material. This is a, this is a serious sci-fi epic. This is serious cinema. You must take this seriously. And when you get that kind of attitude with a film, it sucks all the joy out of it. I had absolutely no joy watching dune was i a great word to put there i know you're still in your five but man you're nailing it but when i watched it yes i was awed by the visuals but and and my time is up but the big difference is is that when i watch blade runner 2049 my all-time favorite film which is filmed much the same way even some shots are lifted directly Mm -hmm. from blade runner 2049 there is enough emotion character and there's enough character there there's enough there isn't a, a sense of self-seriousness there that makes me engage in that world. This one keeps me at arm's length because it's telling me you're t- we're too good for you. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I love what you just said for five minutes because that's the missing thing. I called it heart and you called it joy. It's one and the same. You got it. There's places, like you said, in Star Wars, in silly science fiction, because like you said, these source material books – are, 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 I won't call them trash literature because I find wonderful character to be found in all of those things. Character, not just in terms of people, but sure. character in terms of splits and makeup and all that. And and yeah, you you in Lord of the Rings and in Star Wars, you have that. You have something you can gravitate to and root for. You're right. There's nothing in this to 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 grab. It is it serious and is it impressive? Sure. Can it have some? some big high topic things that, that I, I, I'm trying to just super be super patient thinking, all right, part two is going to do something for us. And the fact that they haven't shot part two and can react to however this turns out, maybe can be a good thing. Like if this part two was already in the can 
And I'm like, oh my god, like we're gonna three more hours of this. Okay, right. fine. Things will escalate because more sandworms show up and a guy becomes king or whatever he's gonna become to rule what he's gonna rule. And we see enough visions of what he's going to be to be there. But now, but if it's gonna be three more hours of that, and we knew it was coming, I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna feel obligation at that point. But at the same time, I'm not in any hurry to see part two. I'm glad they're getting part two. But man. I hope they're listening and responding to what people are getting out of this other than their own ass kissing crowd, because the rest of us are looking for some, looking for some joy, looking for some, looking for some, something else to go with our spectacle. And unfortunately in the eyes of the cinema, fancy pants assholes, some of that comes in the form of heroics and Marvel movie stuff. And you might need a little sprinkle of magic for a change. Yeah. Well, you bring up a great point. Um, I am not saying that Delia Villeneuve is a corporate hack or anything like that. No, um, I don't think so either. Uh, now, WB, maybe, mm. because they've had their own issues. But this is what it feels like to me, is when... Now, New Line Cinema took a huge gamble with Lord of the Rings. Oh. And they said, we'll make all three films. the company. Yeah. Right. And that's that's fine. But what was what I liked about it was that um, Peter Jackson... When he made part one, it's very clear it's a three-part, it's a trilogy because the book was split up from one book into three. Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King. Mm-hmm. The thing about Fellowship of the Ring is, is that even though you know there's going to be two parts, it still feels like its own film that stands on its own. You can watch it. And you could definitely be like, oh, yeah, I want to watch the next one. But at the same time, you get so much emotion. There's actual character arcs that even though the characters will continue, they actually finish or they go from point A to B mm-hmm. and you and you feel emotionally satisfied. Like they found ways, even in the smallest senses, like when when Sam says sees Frodo leaving and he says, I will not leave you alone. And, you know. Uh, and he almost drowns and Frodo rescues him. That's a great moment where that character has taken a step. He's gone from the kind of goofy farmer to this is the guy I can depend on to literally go to hell with. Mm -hmm. And so even though the movie has two more parts, you can leave that movie being emotionally satisfied. Like you can be like, Oh, I feel good. This movie, like I said, I'm not saying it's a corporate thing, but it it feels both arrogant and cynical that this is going, this is part one, deal with all this world building. I don't care if you don't connect because you got to give me a second part. Mm-hmm. Look, make a good movie. Make a, make a movie a that stands part. on it. Earn the second part. Make yep. it stand on its own. Like, make it so that while I'm waiting for two, I want to keep going yep. back to part make one. Make it irresistible so that we're begging for part two. You know how many times I watched Fellowship of the Ring before Two Towers came out? I watched oh, Fellowship of the Ring like imagine. 30 times. Sure. Like, because I w- I wanted as much of that world as I could get, mm-hmm. all that emotion in it, just so I could be like, okay, here's yeah. a little snippet from Two Towers. Oh, ooh, I'm going to get this in Two Towers. I'm going to get this. I could give a shit about that right now. I know. I don't care about I, part two. I watched it a second time purely for the idea of like, gosh, I have to be missing something. There's, there, yes. you know, I saw, I saw, so I saw it on the big screen to get that full experience and yeah, balls to the wall, you know between Zimmer stuff and the big visuals. Yeah. Impressive in that way. And I'm like, but, but I must, I felt like coming out of it as empty as I did, or once I slept on and started to write about it, that's when I, when it started to fall away from me. And I said, you know what? 
write it again, or watch it again one more time. Just this, just did, did you miss something? Is there a character arc that wasn't, that, that, did you miss another Paul thing or something like that? Or give to yeah. the me another shot. And I, I'm a, pretty good guy about movies where i don't normally need a second watch to to get it sure. especially enough to write but this one i did and i and i almost called that a fault because you you shouldn't need two times you know if you're if you're truly making a dedicated experience for folks that are paying to see this movie you got to get them the one time you get them because there's no guarantee they're going to come back and buy it again or you the idea is make it so irresistible that they are going to come back and get it again. The way you're talking about Lord of the Rings and the way we all would pile on and watch Star Wars and the way we do, or all the movies we'd repeat yeah. and love. And this movie does not have it. Where if I didn't see it a second time, like I said, I don't think I'd see it again. I might watch it yeah. one more time before part two. And right. the only character to me that I feel like reaches a Lord of the Rings level that you're talking about is Jason Momoa. At least he plays that, that, that um swaggering hero type of like i'm gonna you know i'm i'm here for the side i'm on i see the the sides of the other people that we're you know that we're in partnership with like he's that bridge guy that's hopefully making some ends with the fremens and and of course with the uh atreides part and for him to have the heroic build that he does to be the badass and the defender i was at least into where he's going but i I, but i also knew he was going to spoiler i knew he's gonna die so and he dies in a right. great blaze of, you know he dies in a great blaze of glory which is gonna work but the hard part is you it's happening now and i don't know if we're gonna get much of that by the time timothy is in so yeah well and and i, and I can't think of anything more damning than saying that jason momo is the best part of a film personally but yeah, um i know i i mean don't get me wrong i gave it three stars on letterboxd so people going like mm-hmm. oh you hate it i didn't give it half a star i gave Same it three thing. stars three, three for me too but that's because it's visually astounding. And yeah. it's, the sound design is astounding. Mm-hmm. But And you and I were talking about this uh, off the podcast with Rachel, uh, our friend Rachel Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. To me, the reason why the Lynch film works is because they – Lynch found a way to, like, separate these worlds a little bit more effectively, like – there's a scene in the remake in, in Denny Villeneuve's where uh, Josh Brolin, who's criminally underused. Oh, yes. Um, and the only funny moment in the whole movie they put in the trailer a hundred times, the mm-hmm. smile, Gertie, I am smiling. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> there's a moment where he says, I've fought Harkonnen. So they change it to Harkonnen's, which drives mm-hmm. me nuts. I fight, I've fought Harkonnen's. They're monsters. They're literal monsters, you know? And yeah, Dave Bautista has like pancake makeup on and, you know, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård is doing a Ma- Marlon Brando impression from mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now, and he's really weird and twisty and stuff. But like, they just seem like lesser orcs from Lord of the Rings to me. Like, I they agree. didn't have the David Lynch version. The fucking Harkonnens are weird, yeah. like, and they, they're crazy. They paint, yes, and they paint and characterize that in, now in an obsessively long scene in the Lynch film. But like, your first meeting of Baron Harkonnen with the boils and the two his two lieutenants, I think they're his nephews or whatever. And, yeah. and how to watch them just snivel and twirl their, their intergalactic mustaches as villains yeah. and get a very long scene to explain who they are and show what they are. You don't get that in this. You get Stone Skarsgård, like you said, kind of twirling and mouthing a few lines and Batista screaming for two seconds in really bad makeup. And that's it. The, you have the shouters versus the quiet people, and that's the only yeah. distinction you've made. 
and uh, yeah, and even if it comes down to the casting, I mean, I can't believe mm-hmm. I would say this with with a cast that has Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> um, Josh Brolin, and a lot of these other actors. Um, they they're almost too regal. My main mm-hmm. problem, I think I, I think I sent this to you after I saw the film. Okay. Um, and I saw it in IMAX. So all you haters out there, I yeah. saw it as it was intended to yep. be seen. Pure, purest form, yeah. same for me, yes. Dolby Atmos. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, I just remember at one point I was like, man, people get on and off ships a lot in this fucking first hour. <laughs> like, I mean, yes. I get it. It's grand. You're supposed to get this idea that this is a decadent culture. Like they're, they've been, these, these houses have been in power for so long that they're rich beyond measure and they're wealthy and, you know, they're, they're almost, um, what do you call it? Uh, like, I don't know how to explain it. They're, they're, they're just, they've existed for so long that they, they almost feel like they have a right to existence, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there's all these scenes of people coming out of ships, like these giant, you know, uh, these giant um, uh, docking things where the, the, the ship will lower and people will walk out slowly. Mm-hmm. And they do that like 50 times. And if they're not exiting the ship, there's like scenes in the beginning when the Harkonnens leave the, the Arrakis and they're all leaving epically, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like okay, I get it. Yeah. Um, like, you have I, big, I cool it, things that make noise. Yeah. It, that's what I'm saying. That's, that, that's the arrogance of it. It's like, my visuals will be so astounding to you that you'll forget about the fact that you have to, this, this is what I said to you. I said, it's a universe that is so well built and so beautifully put together that they forgot to put actual human beings yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, it's a great way of putting it. Cause I, I could care less about any of these characters. Like you said, Momoa is fine. I'm not really a Momoa guy, Yeah, I know. but yeah. as an actor, but yeah, he does what, uh, Momoa would do. He's mm-hmm. he's a, a buff, you know, whatever, you know, uh, a swashbuckling guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I liked him when he was on screen and then he dies. Uh, yeah. Josh Brolin was interesting for the five seconds he's in it. And then you never know. I haven't read, I haven't read the book in like okay. 10 years. But... He comes back. Don't worry. No, yeah. no. I, I mean, I've read the book, but I haven't read it in so long that sure. I don't remember what happened to the characters. But, you know, so he just disappears. And like I said, I love Bautista. You know, he's only in it for a couple minutes. And and friends of mine are saying, well, don't worry, they'll come back. And I'm like, that's fine. But like, yeah. like, like Fellowship of the Ring, give me enough mm-hmm. to live off of now. Because if you're telling me, hey, this will be better when the second one comes out, to me, that's not a movie. That's it's, that it's is, an indictment on fluff and filler yeah, and exactly yeah. because yeah. Yeah. because to me, like I said, I could if I had died. I remember I remember my mom, bless her heart, rest in peace. After we saw Fellowship of the Ring, she was like. Oh my God, what if I die and I don't know what happens? I know. You know, and I remember yeah. like having that stress where I was like, oh my God, what right. if I don't know what happens? Between and, Infinity War and Endgame, that year of radio oh silence, I'm like, don't go. So I gotta make I gotta make it a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was so stressed about that. And this one, it's you you are so busy telling me there's gonna be a part two and it'll all make sense that you forgot to make a part one compelling. Mm-hmm. In my in my eyes. Yeah. I give I give the three stars entirely to the technical aspects because it cannot be denied. I agree. And, and, uh, but even that is dialed a lot high. Like I know I came into this talking about Hans Zimmer and 
between the two scores, we, we just recently oh, recorded an episode on No Time to Die, and I, I enjoyed his Bond score, and I got to listen to his Bond score without the movie just playing the tracks, and it plays really well. I, I have to admit, Zimmer's Bond score was solid. I put this on without the movie, and you would think it's a fucking broken white noise machine, where it's just a no, dirge it's... of noise that occasionally <laughs> has some compelling swings. The female vocalist in it, it's Lisa Gerard from... It's Lisa Gerard from Gladiator, and then it's Laura, yeah. uh, Laura Coulter, who's a, a vocalist singer herself. So it's a two-woman team. And when they turn up their notches of vocal backup, then it then shit gets a little like a little poignant. But when yeah. that when they're not there, it's just it's it's Zimmer. What weird instrument can I find to make some noise and then zint the fuck out of it up and throw some drums on for fun? That's, that's the it. Drums. Oh my oh. god, the drums. He's that's overdoing it. It was cool. It was cool for like three movies. Like I know he made a big deal. I remember when he did Man of Steel, that it was like an eighteen drummer thing, where it was a room. I don't know what it was. It was like twelve guys, but it was a room of twelve drummers combining their talents to make that drum score. Where it wasn't just one drummer, it was like twelve. And it was like for, like Pharrell was one of the drummers. Somebody from like three people from different rock bands came in. Like they all added to whatever the drum thing was in Man of Steel, which is weird because the only like. Uh, you know, instrumental motif anybody remembers from Man of Steel is the three note fucking piano thing not even the drums so right, right. yeah like you did all that just to make noise and I feel like there's a whole lot of instrumentation here to just make noise versus oh, like, yeah. his, like his interstellar yeah. score when you bring in the church organ that at least has some character and you can go there and that that his noise of that score works a little better than it does here yeah and and um I, you invited me to a private film group on Facebook, and you were like, "I did." I right, get ready for this guy. And yeah. Oh, I already okay. picked- let me tell. You, let me tell you now. That group full of Nolan lovers, full of Hans Zimmer's lovers, oh, and you God. got a couple more Snyder people and a whole lot of Man of Steel people. So because well, I because I beware. I pissed somebody off right away because did you? Nice job, my man. Someone someone was like, "I think Dune is is uh, <laughs> one of the five greatest scores he's ever done," and I oh, went, "That's no. right." I said this movie is fucking no. obnoxious. There's a part where I was just like, okay, dude, turn off the drum machine. Yeah, dial like, it down, like, buddy. Dial it down. And I remember the first comment was like, get a load of this guy. Like, mm. how dare <laughs> I criticize Hans Zimmer? You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah. Um, you have people in there who call Hans Zimmer the goat. And I'm like, yeah, have you not met John Williams? You know, knock it off. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. But, you know, I just, every, every aspect of this movie, like I said, if I was able to see this, Without any, I wonder if I would have liked it more if I saw it without any of the uh, rhetoric around it, uh, both yeah. from the from the director, from the yeah. fans, from the filmmakers, from purists. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I just like, and, and we live in this world. You and I know this, and, and I, I I've used it more than you do. The masterpiece okay. thing. Yeah, I I, th- I think there's a lot of people out there that see something like this and and granted it's visually compelling mm-hmm. and it has a great sound design and it is a different type of sci-fi story. I, I think people that go, they get out of the theater and they type the first thing that they think of, which is this is an astounding masterpiece. Yeah. The greatest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, people it's were talking fun. about, yeah, like yeah. I, I, yeah, there were parts in this movie where I was, I literally had my jaw open because I was like, these visuals are insane. Yeah, like I yeah. was like, this is beautiful. There's good stuff there, and I've met I've met the same way. I've met too many people lately where just visuals are all it takes for them to drop the masterpiece tag. 
where I'm like, isn't it so beautiful? And I, I'll say it. It's the Malik people. Mm. Where, But it's so pretty. I'm like, okay, right. it's pretty, but what the fuck am I, is there for me to care about other than how pretty it looks? Like, I, I'm well, going to well, need no. more than pretty. Yeah, we won't go into the whole Malik thing. No, 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 no. I, but- I will say that I what I like about the Malik films is, to me, I feel like I'm interacting with human beings amongst that beauty. I, I agree with that, that in America. No, I agree. You're interacting with sand and worms that, that roll some sand and choke twice. Now, I know you're. it's like Jaws. You're holding your big baddie for when you need to hold your big baddie. So, or not even the big baddie, but the big conquest of whatever that's going to be. But no, I just, there's... It's just missing another gear where I wish mm-hmm. I, I say it in my review. I wish the thing that rattled me more than Hans Zimmer's music was something made by a human, you know, just yeah, to have that it, touch because every good science fiction movie, you know, yes, you're going for a very fantasy thing and you're trying to make things up that are very different than what the norm is, or you're trying to advance where, what, what humans can be. But that's kind of the fun part is, you can advance things in setting and in time, but at the end of the day, it's the human pieces of the story that you cannot shake because it's us and because it's humans that have to shine through the shiny things because Star Wars has that. And I, I know we're making mm-hmm. grandiose comparisons to artsy-fartsy things. Or, I mean, and also the filmmakers did that too, though. So yeah. that's their fault. They did that too. They're like, oh, this is an adult uh, mm-hmm. mature science fiction like they're they're putting it on the own pedestal they're they, saying I it's know. star wars so like they, they they risk those comparisons so do not apologize yeah. for that because they're doing that themselves i saw now granted this is just this is just like a clickbaity mm-hmm. headline but there was um uh you know a, a stephen colbert interview with delhi villeneuve and the title i haven't watched it because just the title alone pisses me off but it says something like Delhi Villeneuve on quote my magnificent adult science fiction story or whatever, and I'm just like, dude, just you know, like there's there's obviously things, yeah, like there's things in like sci-fi movie. Well, here's a, a slightly different you, example. You but- could tell adult serious sci-fi movies that still have heart, spectacle, melodrama, yeah. gaudiness. Like you can have some just some. Something grandiose than just how pretty it looks. Yeah, and I, people, grandiose yeah, people. Exactly, and, and and I was, um, yeah. I this is a slightly different example, but okay. Last night I took my today's Halloween when we're recording this. So last night mm-hmm. I took my daughter to see and my aunt to see a Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, nineteen eighty four. Okay. So, um, you know, it's nineteen eighty four. Okay, it's a low budget film. Okay. Some of the effects aren't great anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. some of the stylistic choices, you know, are are a little suspect, right? But Mm -hmm. we tend to forgive those things if your characters are compelling and and the ideas are ambitious enough. Right. The thing about the thing about Nightmare on Elm Street is it deals with a lot of dream logic and it deals with a lot of like nightmares. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a scene where Freddy Krueger's kind of like running at this girl in, in a in a alleyway and my daughter was pointing and laughing. But mm-hmm. then the next <laughs> the next scene, she started clenching up, started grabbing my arm because she started getting yeah. scared. But then because she was invested in the character, she was invested mm-hmm. in the idea of it. It's like you can forgive a little goofiness for yeah. a compelling story. Like Nightmare on Elm Street is a classic horror film, yeah. even if it and, has moments in it that are silly. And Dune okay. and Dune doesn't and Dune doesn't get there. It it talks 
a talk like it's gonna try with like the whole what the Benny Jesuit are and this Messiah thing or like all the narration stuff that's in Lynch's and all the narration stuff that's in a book that's weaving this history upon history of where this legend is and where it can go all of that which hypes you up in lynch's movie and hypes you up in the book like oh wait it's that important because you spelled it out in that kind of way and the people keep calling towards it in that kind of way when you strip so much of that narration away in villeneuve's you're just going off of paul and you're just going off of his dad oh, and there's and not his, enough uh, there and, and then his, when, uh living dictionary that reads things to him yeah and that so, pissed me off too because i was just like okay i get it like because at one point uh, mm-hmm. uh paul is like hey tell me about the fremen and then it's like the fremen are this yeah this, he, he like, wikipedia is the bad guy yeah you know? it's like jesus christ yeah it was too, yeah, yeah. No. and then and then it, the now the other two motifs they like to try to talk about in doing that Again, they talk to talk. I don't know if it's really all that there is dreams and fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the whole dream is the mind killer thing. And other than Charlotte Rampling's box challenge, which is a classic thing from the book that's played sure, in the sure. Lynch one. I don't get ever a moment of fear coming out of Chalamet or characters around it. Uh, I don't get a big dream. The dream vibe is there because of what Zendaya is in the movie for, which is this down the road there's this beautiful figure that's in your life that's going to become your wife. And so they, they prophesize her a little bit. We get very little of an actual her. So if your only dreams are a daydream about a pretty girl, that's not super compelling enough either. Yeah. That's the thing. They didn't make a, I know it's a part one, but like I I said, there've been part ones in the past that are complete motion pictures. Yeah. This one feels like they, they feel like they're satisfied with, Okay, let's go back a little bit to the Dune structure because the, okay. the thing about Dune is, and, and, and this is why people struggle with the book. I've read the book. I know you've read the book. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of really smart people that were like, I can't do it. You know? Yeah, um, I, I stayed away for a long time. Yeah. So what confuses people is that you have all this backstory about uh, noble houses and mm-hmm. politics and stuff like that. And the movie does a great job explaining that because you get like this stress contrast between you know the atreides and the emperor and the Bene Gesserit and all this stuff mm-hmm. but the thing about doing the story is is when it comes down to it the story ends up really just being about like this messiah figure in the desert like it the politics yeah. until like the sequels and the books and stuff really yeah, don't they, play they a don't part. come back it, so yeah, the politics just, fail when the Atreides get beaten, and then it's up to the Messiah to show up. Right. So who just happens to be the same guy, which is yeah. Right. So the fact that they set all that up and they put so much effort into setting up something that will not be important mm-hmm. curses this part one even more because yeah. you're just like, who gives it? Like, House of I don't care. Like, I, I don't care about their home yeah, planet. I don't, I don't care about but, the spice. You know, I, and, I, and, I I know in the book and in Lynch's film they do this whole thing where. Look at Paul, or it's Duke Leto. So it's like Leto Atreides. Yeah. Look at him give up the, give up the spice in order to save people. Like the rescue of the miners with the sandworms, and they obviously have that scene in the movie. And oh, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a pride swelling scene the way it probably should be. And yeah, they're just missing. And Oscar Isaac tries, but he's not given enough. He's given what the Matador the memories of Matador looks to stylistic things and. Not enough of that either. So they try and they try to put that speech in, in the graveyard before they leave Kaladin ain't bad for Oscar Isaac, but there's just not enough. It's yeah. not bad, but like when they say these, when, when they have that line, 
like, I feel like um, that line where he's like, well, even if you fail me, you're still my son. Like mm-hmm. that either should have been like towards the end or should have been written better because that's something that I should be thinking like, wow, what a great relationship. Like mm-hmm. what a noble person. And I was just yeah. like, all right, whatever. I mean, like, what yeah. if they find their yeah. father and son? Fine. Uh, a good example is, uh, did you ever see uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? The first of course. One? Yeah. Okay. I don't know how you feel about the film. I think it sucks, but... Um, I'm, I'm in between. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but there is a scene at the end of that movie where the, the big battle is about to happen. Mm-hmm. And whatever the main kid's name is. And, and keep in mind, this all came out after Lord of the Rings. So Lord yeah, of the Rings kind of set right. the bar, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where the character says... Will you stand with me in battle? And this guy goes, he looks at him and they have like a close up of this like troll thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I'd give my life for you to the death. Yeah. You know, and it, there's all this music that's swelling and you're like, okay. Like there was nothing mm-hmm. to get you to that emotional point. Yeah. Um, and I've seen better scripts and better actors give you, oh, Jesus, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but go for it. Okay. I don't even like this film that much, but the 2009 Star Trek, yeah, uh, the reboot, Chris Hemsworth in that movie for two and a half minutes, mm-hmm. but that opening sequence, mm-hmm. you can feel yeah. that the wife is losing her husband. Yeah. He's losing his look. Like, I remember I watched that with my mom. His my son mom, will never know him. Yeah. yeah all my that. mom the was crying within I, two and a half minutes. I was crying within two and a half minutes. Yeah, I'm right there then, with him. So what I'm saying is if you, and, and, Trust me, I swear to you, I'm not saying J.J. <laughs> Abrams is a better director than Denny Villeneuve, but you he's know, a like, better director for spirit and and grab than, well, than yeah. Grab. I mean, so and because yeah, there there he is an emotion, there is yeah. an emotional void in this movie overall. Mm-hmm. So I think what I'm trying to get at, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. And, and it got to the point where I also think it's really poorly structured. Yes. I, I mean, I was bored the last yeah. 45 minutes. I was checking my watch. And yeah, once is- once the big battle that, that takes down the Atreides clan happens, you're right. You're at this wandering, very prolonged escape. Can we get away from the chasing bad guys thing and then land in the Fremen? It, it does. It takes a good bit of time to get from there to, yeah. the, to where and they like, stop this movie. And like we were talking about with No Time to Die, like, you know, it's okay. Like, I think people think that if your movie is long, it automatically deserves right. all this attention. Yeah, look at all the investment you put into it and how much longer right. you gave us of everything. It's no, the longer it is not always killed, better. Would this have killed anyone if this was a part one that was two hours long? No, there's I, I easily so. there's thirty minutes of trimming in this movie. Absolutely, uh, yeah. or or just or can or condense more. You know, go three hours and tell the whole damn thing the way Lynch tried. Exactly. Because yeah. yeah. we know, if you guys know the book, a fast forward is coming of what, five years? Mm-hmm. Where, where you know, his, his mom has a child who becomes another Benny Jesuit. Chani and Paul are together. The, they've risen with the Fremen and he learns to ride the snake worms and then comes back and reclaims all of his things. Like, I, I don't yeah. think there's that much movie left. Like, if there's another three-hour piece coming, I'm like, fuck. We're, that's the part that's going to get long. Yeah, and then the other thing is, is this is going to be a hard franchise to sell because I think Villeneuve is saying he wants to do Dune Messiah. I don't know if you've read Dune Messiah. I, I have not read, read anything further than the first, yeah. So Dune Messiah, and this is spoilers for everybody, from what I remember, okay, is it's already established that 
you know, Paul is the king of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's this masterful, whatever, Jesus, right? Yeah. Like, in the movie, he is like, or in the book, Dune Messiah, this is showing, like, what his rule is like. And he is essentially like this humorless... Mm. Um, they cast emotion- the right guy then. <laughs> humorless, emotionally void, uh, ethically void... Ooh. Like he's he's so powerful that he doesn't even think about people. He just does things. Hmm. Like it's hard to explain, but he's he's almost like like pure neutral, like to the point where he doesn't care about life and people Good are D&D trying to figure there. him out. You say but, pure neutral, and I yeah. are true neutral. I believe you. Yeah, yeah, and and so you're gonna have this hero that you're building up that is not really like, like Dune Messiah, he's not a likable character from what mm. I remember. Like Paul okay. is a very unlikable, he's almost like a dictator, except he's, he's more like a sociopath. He has no yeah. feelings whatsoever. And it's like, so you're building up to that. Like I can see part two ending like the first Dune did. And that's why most people ignore the sequels and all the prequels, because it's like, okay, the first one's fine mm-hmm. as is because the character becomes something that you hate. Yeah. And I like he wants to continue with this, and you've already kind of got this petulant, mm-hmm. whiny little bitch, is what you and I called him, as mm-hmm. this main character. Like he seems like a very rich, uh, what do they call it? Um, uh, what do they call the kids that get their money from a uh, inheritance? Like, oh, like a, a silver uh, spoon cake kind of thing. Yeah, like a silver. Like yeah. he's 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 got this like this super. Everything's uh, been handed ele- to elegant him. mom. Mm-hmm. That's like you know, I'm a, you're special and I'm special. Oh, and, I come and she's of course powerful enough to completely protect him. Like other right. than the knife fight, at the, other than the knife fight at the end of this movie, nothing. There's nothing he does without help. God, and that's how this movie ends with a knife fight, which in, is a step in, because he's finally does something not on his own. So okay, but I, but, but I but I was kind of yeah. like like to me, if you're gonna make this a part one. Mm-hmm. Like go oh, out cliffhangering with, it, have them fly off in the desert, not knowing where the hell is going to happen next. Yeah, or do yeah. the worm part. Have the worm be the end, like where the worm the worm stares at him, and then people who Ooh. haven't read the book are like, "What the fuck? Uh-huh. Like what? What? That's What's going to happen? You know." What and mean? then like, you open the next movie with lost in the Benny, lost in the Fremen world, and the first thing that is the encounter of the knife fight. That would be cool opening scene in the next movie. Yeah, you're right. The structure you called it. No, I, I just. I, it frustrates me, and we're going long on this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Villeneuve did, but I, I think it, I think it's deserved because there's a lot to unpack in this movie. Yeah, um, I think that some, like I said, Josh Brolin's stuff, Dave Bautista's stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, the villains are are, are just underused. Other than looks, there's nothing. Yeah, here, here's a great thing. I'm even the, to, even even the doctor's portrayal is underplayed. Oh, yeah, even um, okay. I'm gonna go back to. Uh, Peter Jackson again for a second. Okay. Uh, if, if you can, if you bear with me. I'm with you. Okay. So Peter Jackson to add what we were talking about, how there's a arc, even though it's a part one, there's still an emotional arc to fellowship of the ring. He went outside of the, of the book and created his own character um, called Lurts. He was the Uruk High captain. He was like the kind of super, mm-hmm. super Uruk High, you know, the, the guy that the right hand in his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I remember. He and he created that character because what the movie needed, you still needed to have the heroes defeating evil because because the movie the movie ends like on such a downer because it's like 
Mary and mm-hmm. Pippin are captured. You know, Frodo and Sam go off on their own. Boromir dies. Like, they they needed to have some kind of arc where, like, you leave that movie feeling a little bit, like, you still feel okay about the characters, you know? Like, you feel like they're giving you something and there's a comeuppance for, for Lurtz, you know, shooting Boromir in the chest three times. And then that's why at the end, Lurtz fights Aragorn in a pretty badass fight that was cut down a lot in the theatrical, but is really badass in the extended cut. Yes, it is. And, and, and then what happens is, is, you know, Aragorn defeats him and there's that, there is a sense that something has been accomplished. Mm-hmm. Like, like this Lieutenant, even though he's not the big bad, like he's been defeated so we can move on. Like we we're like, okay, that's not only are you getting a, a character moment with Aragorn Cause you're like, Oh wow. He found a way to win this battle. You know, like, it gives you a little bit of arc where you're following this bad guy throughout and then he gets his comeuppance and you can leave with a little bit of, you know, you can leave with a little bit of um, a conclusion. You're like, okay, there's more to have, but I also, you know, they defeated this threat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like Villeneuve is so beholden to the source material that he couldn't just step out of that a little bit and give me something to, tap into you know to, to get me excited for a part two because like you said with the structure you get the sandworm sequence and then it's literally an hour of them walking through all these canyons yeah and, and then there's that fight against some guy i could give a shit about who i, I don't know anything about yeah you know and it'd be different no- if that fight was against like javier bardem's like the guy comes out and gets you know yeah i mean at least with javier bardem you know, if you're going to change the source material, and I, I don't know, I, like I said, it's been a long time since I read it, yeah. but like, yeah, have Javier Bardem be the one that Timothy shall make, because then you're adding stakes. He's like, oh shit, they killed off Javier Bardem. Oh shit, like he just killed their leader and now they're respecting him in a different way. Like this one was like, oh, just kill my right hand guy that has mm-hmm. no name. And yeah. it was, and then that's how the movie ends. And you're like, I know. Wait a minute. What am I, I, I don't even remember. I, I can barely even remember what's happening for me to go into two. Like I'm mm. gonna have to rewatch this again, I which really pisses me off. I'm telling you, I'm telling you stuff that happened in Fellowship of the Ring. That movie came out in 2001. I'm telling, I can tell you remember, that movie step right for step. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the back of my hand. This movie, I, I I already forgot how it ended. You know, like and, okay. and where everybody is. I don't even know where the characters are. You know, at some points, mm. like. Like we know that Duncan Idaho is dead, and but where's Josh Brolin at? Where is right. the rest of House of Trees? Where, where is the Baron besides sitting in this pool of liquid? Like, what's what's uh, Dave Bautista doing? Yeah. Even if they trilogyed this and ended it with the destruction of the the Atreides setup, right, right? And the middle movie is the the chase of that, you know, obviously Paul is fleeing because he's the heir and has to survive where the second movie is the chase that goes from post-destruction, Jason Momoa's sacrifice, get out to the desert. And then you're right. Stare at the sandworm. Oh shit. He's, you know, he escaped this far, but what are you going to do now? Credits on that one. And then third movie is obviously rise to power, big heroic finish where even three movies of this, would be smaller, more manageable, and paced and structured better. And that's what that's what Two Towers is. If yeah. you remember, Two Towers is literally like Two Towers or the, Tweener. Yeah, all, yeah. All the characters are they all have a mission during that movie. Talk about another movie that exists by itself. Oh yeah, has its has its own emotional highs and lows. Mm-hmm. 
and and a feeling of conclusion, even though you know there's a third part. Like you have the introduction of Rohan, and mm-hmm. you have you know their you you get to understand what their goals are and what their uh, how they've been hurt by other people in Middle Earth, and you get this triumphant ending at Helm's Deep. Like it's its own story, but also the characters are doing stuff like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli. They have to find the other two hobbits. Like that story goes to its progression. Like yeah. it, it goes from A, B to C. And even though there's going to be a third part, Return of the King, it's, it keeps you invested, but also gives you a sense of finality to that particular arc of the story. I mean, when you watch TV, there's story arcs. You don't expect them to go on mm-hmm. forever and you don't expect it to end after the first issue. Characters are going to have new problems, new issues. And that those movies, you know, and because they're comparing it to Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry, dude, you're going to have to live with me talking about Lord of the Rings. You know, mm-hmm. they found ways to, you know, make those movies not only more approachable, but narratively more cohesive. I agree. You know, so it, it's just... And and from no less dense of material, because Tolkien can go on and on as much as Herbert, yet Jackson found a way. And I just don't know if the writer's here, because the writer's here, what we have, Ridley Scott, Venner, this is John Spots, right? And... uh I'm trying to think of the other writers who put this thing, this big monstrous thing together. Yeah. I don't have it on top of my head, but um, yeah, I don't think it's much of anybody. You're making me scroll in the line. Oh, here we go. Eric Roth. Oh, and that's the Forrest Gump guy. So a professional adapter. Denny Villeneuve, John Spates, and then Frank Herbert's giving yeah. credit for the story. Character. And I could give a shit about John Spates because he's taken really Scott movies and just like, he's okay trying to bring, I know he's Prometheus is his best thing, but I think Lindenoff helped Prometheus better. I can't stand the movie Passenger, so you lost me at John Spates right there. So mm-hmm. He did do Doctor Strange effects, really like, obviously. That's true. Um, but, I mean, that's different because I think that those MCU movies, they ha- they kind of have a structure, like a narrative mm-hmm. structure that has to be told. So right. he, he is kind of... Uh, uh, you he's know, got help there. Yeah, he's got a little bit of help. Prometheus is another another one that I think people say, "Wow, this looks great. Mm-hmm. It must be great. It must be a masterpiece because it's it looks great and it's it makes no sense whatsoever." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and you said the other guy did uh, Forrest Gump, Eric Roth. Eric Roth is more old school book adaptation guy. He did, he yeah, won an Oscar for Forrest Gump. Yeah, he's he's that guy, Munich. an adapter. Ali and so you know what I'm looking at his filmography. You know some of the biggest things on this list. Forrest Gump is a little bit different. For Roth, but no, yeah, I'm looking at Roth. So let's look at some of the the big the, his film popularity on Facebook or on mm-hmm. Letterbox is Dune. Well, Forrest Gump is first, then Dune, A Star Is Born, Case of Benjamin Button, Munich, The Insider, Ali, and then uh, a lot of books. Yeah, the the Good Shepherd. Not only is it a lot of books, but all those films. I found myself compelled by the story, but uninterested in the characters. Like a Star is Born, I, I know which the, which I know Star the, is Born did he adapt? The new one with Cooper. The new one with Cooper. Okay, see, I, I, that, well, you go first. I know that you like that movie. I I, I like it. I think it's I think it's structurally sound. I think it's it's a, it's a it's a pretty good movie. It's it's you know it's the fourth time it's been made. Yeah, you know, so the story's been told before, so it's not exactly innovative. I think the sound design is excellent, but at the end scene with um, the end scene with uh, Lady concert. Gaga singing the song, yeah. singing the song for his for Dead Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. I I felt nothing. Munich, oh, uh, Munich was a was a was a great movie. 
Um, it's the last time Spielberg had balls, in my opinion. Right, but at the same time, like I. But also a cold movie, yeah. But the characters in it, like yeah, tough one. I mean, I I I didn't really care. The Insider is and Ali are both Michael Mann films, Mm -hmm. but they all involve like uh, very cold characters that you don't necessarily even like. Yeah, you know, like and so I never. But then he's look- but then he's got two whimsies in there because Forrest Gump is super whimsy. Right, right. Serious Case of Benjamin Button is super whimsy. And I like those two. I adore those two. Mm, so yeah, I'm all right with I'm all right with Benjamin. I know you and Whimsy, so yeah. But uh in Forrest Gump obviously is um It's a schmaltzy thing. Yeah. I don't know how well it's aged, you know. I, I think it's That's a great true. movie. I think it's a great movie to show like you know, like I would show it to my daughter. Oh yeah, you know, and be like, "Hey, this was this one best picture. It's a yeah, it's a, it's, slice it's of Americana. Look at Tom Hanks go. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a perfect '90s prestige film. You yeah. know, uh, you know, it hits all the check boxes. But I don't really know how great of a film it is, all things considered. But yeah. you know, whatever. But I just, I just thought that was funny when I was looking at his list. I was like, oh yeah, these are all movies with interesting concepts, interesting, uh, interesting universes. But think people I could care less about. Okay. Um, so that, that happened there. But anyway. Closing thoughts here, man. What do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be patient for part two. Like I keep saying, my three mm-hmm. stars are for, are for, my three stars are like yours for production value and, and those levels of thing and technical levels and the idea of, all right, patience because something's coming. But, man. I, I, I think that what I would really like is I would like the discussions around the movie to die down i think we live we're we're in such a we're in such a what have you done for me lately world Um, oh i didn't think about that like what if this is avatar and we don't get this movie for like seven years well not just that not just that but what i mean is is like no time to die when it came out It, it dominated the film discussions for about two weeks yeah uh you know and then dune came out and that just ended no time to die's essentially Mm -hmm. it's its impact on the zeitgeist, you know? Right. I, I think some of the only things that still stay in our discussions of film are like, you know, the old guys that are complaining about it mm-hmm. and like Marvel and stuff. Like they kind of stay in the discussion forever. Yeah. But I think a lot of stuff just kind of ends up leaving the discussion. So what I would really like is, and I don't know if it's going to happen because award season is coming up. What I would uh-huh. really like, what I would really like is for Dune to not get shut out at the Oscars, but like, like not get a best picture nomination, just chill, mm-hmm. you know, and like, let the, let the fever die mm-hmm. uh, on the film. I would love to watch it, you know, especially if we don't get Dune 2 for a couple years. Yeah. I would love least. to, re- I would love to rewatch it without any of the rhetoric, without any of the annoying fanboys, without any of the cinema discussion. I would love to just rewatch it without any of that stuff in there and think maybe, you know, like, okay, maybe it is yeah. better than I thought. Right. Because and where could right, it go? Uh-huh. Yeah, because right now, as a film, as it's presented, as it is advertised, as it is projected by its fans, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it, it was it's sold to me as the greatest thing to hit cinema ever, and it <laughs> is nothing like that. Yeah. You know? So. I'm yeah, with that's you That's my final thought. Yeah. Okay. But you can't dislike it because if you dislike it, you're a hater. So oh, I know, man. I tell you. Yeah. Anyways. 
All right. Well, that was a little extra long one with a lot of extra padding in it. And um, kind of not unlike the two of us. It, well, yeah, there's a lot of extra padding <laughs> on this one. Uh, all right. So I want you, I want you, um, maybe I should read this with that. Uh, remember when the movie opens before the even the uh, WB oh, the, thing pops up and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like maybe I yeah. should read Read the outro like that. Um, us on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd blow my uh, throat out if I did that. Um, I know. Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile History Fits Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile History Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, folks, so check us out there. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts and wonderful guests, all available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com.